0: training mindset integrity incremental improvement what can you do better today start right here with the pendola project
1: welcome back to the pendola project this is matt Pandola.
0: and i am jake parker and i am pumped matt after this interview
1: yeah we had billy the kid howl with us today he was one of my original pendola project runners back in high school I can't call him the kid anymore. He's Billy the man. Grown man. He
0: is wiser than I am. After listening to him speak, I can tell he is not only smarter than I am. I think he's he's going places, man. He is really,
1: really accomplished. Oh, yeah. I'm not ashamed to say he's smarter than I am, too. I feel like I got to go read a book or something. Honestly, now. I need to read more nonfiction. Right. Right. But Billy, he's an amazing guy. Now I would say that he's evolved into a man, but the idea that he at one time was just that, that, uh, young kid standing in front of me without uh, a clue really as to how he was going to train better, eat better. Those type of things were all new concepts to, to him. And now he's like an expert in those things. He, Had some real trials and tribulations. He was hit by a car. A guy was texting and driving, and we talk about that in the podcast. That in itself was traumatic enough. Billy almost lost his leg. He was lucky enough to have a great surgeon. He talks about that a little bit. And ultimately, Billy moved forward, saw those things happening for him, not to him, went on to row at Fordham and... Now on to medical school, he is just one of those guys that doesn't take excuses, has developed really good habits, has used everything he's learned in the pyramid of success, which we talk about that. And he's one of those people that I really feel like would be a Hall of Fame athlete or a Hall of Fame person in any gym, but I'm proud to say he is in mine. I'd just call him a Hall of Fame
0: human being, Matt. He's really incredible. And let's not forget that not only did he have the habits and the coaching, he also had the culture, the Pendola culture surrounding him when he went through that horrible accident. And if he hadn't had that, I believe he mentioned things may have turned out
1: differently. Well, you know, it's just an honor that I could be a part of his process at all in in any way, but I really feel like I've been around a lot of different people over the course of my career that have been pretty stagnant. They have not learned as much as their career has gone on. It's like they get done with school and they stop learning so much. They stop challenging themselves. And after listening to Billy, man, I want to challenge myself even more to to get better, to learn more, to do better. No matter how much you know, you don't know enough. That's right. So without further ado, guys, this is a very special podcast. Really, I think you're going to love this one. And now, Billy Haug.
0: Billy, you have quite the biography. Not only are you a member of the original Pendola Project, which was started what, Matt, five,
1: five, six years ago? No, no, more than that. Wow. We're talking old school now. We're going back more years now, huh, Billy? 2010. Yeah, and yeah. you were back then. I don't know why I started calling you Billy the Kid. Why is that? Obviously, you're
2: going to have to search deep down in your soul to find why, but I think you already had this fascination of, you know, these Western heroes, and Billy Kidd was one of them, and uh, I kind of had that aura around me, I must say. You could take a lot more credit for that, Billy, because you (laughs) exemplify everything that is cool about the Wild
0: West, obviously. So now, you got your bachelor's degree engineering physics, What is that?
2: Is it a dual major? So that's a great question because it's not a major you see a lot of places, not a lot of places offer it, but it's mostly physics with some engineering uh, mixed in towards your sophomore, junior year, kind of go off of that. And that's from Fordham University. And now you're getting your master's.
0: Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so I started a 12-month master's program last year, and I'll be graduating in the next month and that's in human nutrition at Columbia University and it's just been a incredibly eye-opening journey. It's a subject I've always been passionate about and I saw the potential for it especially since I want to eventually become a physician and how well it can apply to the patients I'll be taking care of there. You see what you've done Matt? What did I do? You inspired him to
0: research nutrition and now he's getting a master's from Columbia.
1: Yeah, because I made him feel like Billy the Kid, like he was some kind of already legend before oh. he even got started. So, Billy, you talk about wanting to help people a little bit more. Explain that to me. How are you going to help people more with physics, with nutrition? What, what does that really mean? Well, starting with the physics thing. It's physics. Yeah. I feel like that's the answer that you can give whenever people are confused. You just go, it's physics.
2: It is the fundamental science. The only really thing taking it from a hierarchy perspective is mathematics, but, you know, no one really cares about that. <laughs> just kidding. Physics, you know, it is the basis of all all the scientists moving up to chemistry and biology, et cetera. But that was more of the inspiration to pursue something in healthcare. Uh, I started with these engineering classes and quickly realized, hey, I like topics, but it's not going to be really dealing with human beings. Uh, which are obviously the most complex interactions we have on a day-to-day basis. And I really saw the potential there is in biomedicine. And I really just, it helped me shift perspectives to a subject I actually really wanted to study. And it gave me a solid science background, but eventually I said, hey, I actually want to shift over to medicine. Uh, So it was a good way to inspire me and tell me what not to do. So I'm incredibly thankful for that.
1: And I figured it out early enough for sent me on a journey that I'm enjoying to this day. I'm just smiling to myself because you're such a smart guy and you've done so much already. The first time I met you, it was hot out. I mean, it was hot, Jake, hot. And he was wearing... I think a beanie or some kind of goofy hat. And it was, I think it was track practice, right? And I just looked at you and I was like, what are you doing? What are you wearing that? (laughs) What are you wearing that hat for right now? And, you know, he was just such a goofball. And back then, I had no idea I was looking at this future physics brainiac. Yeah. And
0: he just said, it's physics,
2: Matt. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember that? You remember that? I do remember that. You bring it up
2: more than I would prefer, but um, I'm going to take pride in it. And, you know, I'm still a goofball to this day, but I just know
1: where to apply it and where not to. Yeah, you got to have fun with things, right? Let's talk about track. We met because I was your coach originally and you were interested in maybe running a little bit faster, possibly running for a college. And so you actually joined the Pandola Project running team back then. You did a lot of hard work. I remember when we first started Get Going, you were meeting with me and Jordan Cardenas. You remember that? Mm -hmm. And Jordan, of course, was kind uh, of—he's a local running legend in high school at that time. He had won, like, the Stanford Invitational, and I think he was undefeated, like, his entire junior year or something crazy like that. And there you were running with Jordan We were running over the summer a little bit easier, just kind of logging in some miles together. But do you remember that? That's what got you started, I think.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that was one of the best parts about being part of the project is you had all these super talented, hardworking individuals already coming into the program and just being able to... I'd never been in an experience before where I was with these people and knew what they were capable of. And the fact I was putting myself through the same workouts, yeah, maybe not running the same splits or whatever, but just the fact that I was there and putting the work in, it was an incredible feeling, you know? And I
1: think that's what you delivered on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it was was a lot of fun. And then I do feel like you had made a lot of progress. I don't say this lightly. I think that you were going to challenge your school record at the time for the two-mile. We had an incredible winter that year, getting yourself set up for success. Then something happened, man. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so in 2012, February of 2012, I was hit by a car. It was under weird circumstances, to say the least. I was driving to school, got rear-ended first, which wasn't a big deal. It was February, so, you know, it's still icy and snowy out. So people were pulling over and defrosting their windshields, and that's kind of what happened. Got out, started talking to the guy. Um, Everything was fine, you know, decided we should probably call the police and obviously exchange insurance and that kind of thing. So we were outside of our cars. And then uh, another car came through the intersection. It was a Ford F-150 pickup truck and the driver, as I saw and would be elucidated that he was texting on his phone. And there was a curve just great enough in the road that um, he plunged right into both of us and um, it could have been a lot worse. I suffered a catastrophic injury to my lower left leg, but it definitely could have been a lot worse and ended up spending 12 days in the hospital, underwent three surgeries. And I really thought at that moment that my running career was over. I mean, it happened two days before the start of the track season. And it was just a blow I wasn't
1: <laughs> prepared for by any sense uh, of the word. But none of us were. I mean, yeah. I, I, I remember getting the phone call from your father, and I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was almost in shock myself. And I'm heading to the hospital. I never, never leave the gym, never leave work. But man, I was—I didn't know what I was heading into. And didn't you have a surgeon that you just happened to be in town? What happened there? I, I know that we kind of lucked out there, didn't we, with the surgeon that you had? We certainly did. I lucked out in a lot of different
2: facets. I mean, for one, yes, uh, Dr. Peter Althausen was my orthopedic surgeon and he was on call at the time, and he was the one that gave me the first operation, uh, which was a fasciotomy, because the main problem was uh, compartment syndrome, which is when you suffer some sort of impact, and I severed the anterior tibialis artery, and it started pouring blood into my compartments, but the skin didn't break, so there was essentially nowhere for it to go, so you get this intense swelling, and it can uh, jeopardize the limb, but he told me, actually, if the artery was severed, Something like three inches higher uh, would have hit the femoral, and that would have been much greater probability that they would have had to amputate. So, you know, there's just another luck there. And then, of course, as I've learned too, just the uh, holistic aspects of healthcare, uh, I had incredible family and friends at the time. Of course, you, my coach, and the healthcare team itself supporting me through this. So it's not just, okay, how well can we heal your. Biochemical system, and you know how young you are, which obviously helps me out tremendously. But I also had this incredible support system. I went to a small high school, and everyone was uh, cared about me and showed how much they were rooting for me and that they were there uh, supporting
1: me every step of the way. And
2: I really believe that's why I was able to recover so quickly.
1: First of all, I don't want to get too preachy here, but if you're listening to this podcast and you text and drive or you drive distracted, just understand that there's no judgment here we all make mistakes in life i've certainly made my fair share that i i, I would say that there's some things in my life that i'm not super proud of but listening to this right now, if you are doing those things, use this as maybe a wake-up call to say, man, I don't want to be that person driving over that kid because it can happen so quickly and good people make bad decisions. But before you know it, now you could really hurt somebody or even end their life. It was so lucky that it didn't end yours. And because of you, we started a commitment at Pandola Training, my gym, where all of my athletes, started to sign a board that said that we would not text and drive or drive distracted or if somebody was with us that we were in a car driving we would offer to text for them if they wanted to text right and you helped to create that movement still to this day i have my athletes sign the wall saying they won't do those things and still to this day we bring up your story billy
2: i appreciate that i mean it's Like you said, we're not trying to guilt anyone. It's something we've probably all done. Uh, It's such a trivial thing when you think about it. You know, we pull out our phone all the time. We're just sitting down, wherever. But when you're doing it in the context of operating an automobile with thousands of horsepower and you're doing it with dozens of other cars around you, uh, things can go wrong really quickly. And it's just you have to be cognizant of that and try to move away from those habits.
1: And I have Hall of Fame athletes in my gym, big, big posters of them up on the wall. And I'd love to have everybody that I coach at Pandola. I'd, I'd love to be able to highlight all of them, but there's only so much space on the wall. You are up there on that wall and we'll get to some of your accomplishments in a minute here, but I will say, no offense, you are not the most accomplished athlete that I've ever coached, but you're up on that wall because of your attitude. The way that you handled yourself through this whole thing was absolutely remarkable. And in fact, when we talk about culture in the gym, I honestly think of you as being one of the leaders of our culture, because I don't feel like I would have handled myself as well in this situation at your age. I mean, right, Jake, you, you think about yourself. How old were you at the time? You were 17, 17 years old. You almost lost your leg. The first thing you say to me as soon as you're cognizant is, "Coach, I want to get back to running. How do I do it? Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. That's crazy that that's where your thinking was at 17 years old. You weren't feeling bad for yourself. You were on your way to, you know, setting records. Maybe let's even throw out the records. Just you were in optimal health and conditioning, and you were becoming an elite runner at that point. You were on your way for sure. But elite or not, you had just lost your ability to maybe ever walk again. Forget about running. And I don't think they were giving you any guarantees that you would run, right? I mean, there was definitely mixed opinions. I will say Dr. Althausen
2: was never a shred of doubt that I would be able to run again. That was the first thing he said to me before I went into surgery is, is hey, I'm going to get you on your feet, uh, and you're going to do everything you want to do. There's going to be no restrictions. And wow, just what, a, what a great doc. Yeah. Sorry to
1: interrupt, but what, his name is Dr. Housen? Uh,
2: Althausen, because he was my inspiration to go to medical school, and still to this day, um, just everything about his character and the way he carries himself and practices, his trade, uh, it's just very inspiring.
1: So this happened for you, right? We talk about this a lot in the Mm -hmm. podcast. Things happening for you or to you, right? This happened for you. Without this happening, you might not have met this doc. He might not have inspired you to become a doc, right? Yes, certainly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I don't mean to get too meta with these types of things, but I honestly had the same thought, Matt, because if that accident, horrible as it was, hadn't happened to you, maybe you never would have spawned that interest in the medical field as you have. Maybe you're going to go on a few years down the road. Maybe you'll save somebody's leg or somebody's life I was just so impressed because I remember working at the gym at the time I was so impressed with your positivity that would have gotten me so down especially as a 17 year old I would not have handled that the way you did I really commend you for that Billy thank you
2: and I, I can't say enough though uh Yeah, it all comes down to the individual at the end of the day. Of course, the actions that you execute, but I definitely wouldn't have had that positivity if I didn't have the upbringing I did, and my parents instilled values that I hold to this day and try to follow to a T. And of course, training with you for at least two years before that happened, I'm positive that I wouldn't have had that attitude going into it. Just knowing what I was capable of, I knew that such a recovery was possible because I had gone through the Padola Project. I had, you know, done these things that no one else was doing at the time and learned these lessons, not just in the field of athletics, but in as a greater whole.
1: Listen, I, I appreciate that, Billy. I will say I have coached a lot of kids and said the same things to them that I have said to you. And of course, we've had a lot of phenomenal results with our culture, but it's all about supporting each other. And I don't think As much about myself in this, I think that I am sort of the spark, but the fuel is you kids. And there was a kid, Hank Bingham, that definitely helped you along the way. Oh, yeah. And I I remember Hank was so supportive and always helping, always trying to get you to that next level with him. Of course, he was trying to get better. And then you uh, skip ahead to your final race in high school. And, man, I wanted you to make it to state so bad. You had come so far just a year later, really, and here you are contending to go to state. And it comes down to you and Hank. Teammates, sportsmen, what happened there, Billy?
2: Last 200 meters. I So this was the 3200, if we didn't say that already. but So eight laps, and we were coming around the last turn. I had been leading, I think, for the past at least you know, four or five laps. And all of a sudden, Hank just passed me in the last 200 meters. And we're both kicking with everything we have. I mean, looking back on it, I mean, it's just like the one of the coolest things I've done. Cause like that race was so fun. Yeah, I saw that chance just slip away right before my eyes. And, uh, you know, I ended up coming in fourth. He came in third and ended up going to state. But this is just another one of those situations that, in hindsight, uh, I'm really glad it happened. There was no harm done. I mean, we both worked our asses off and obtained great results. And it was that result that led me to think to myself, like, maybe I should try something else. You know, I always love running. It's always something I can do. But, hey, I could try another sport. And eventually, that's when I took up rowing. And that's one of the reasons I went to the school I did. And there's just a decision tree of things that happened after that from that one moment that led to so many greater things and you can't even hypothesize how things would have turned out if i had won uh and it's not even worth it at this point
1: yeah i mean hank went on to collegiate running you Mm -hmm. went on to collegiate rowing at the time i have to admit and i've told hank this as much as i wanted to see him qualify for state I wanted to see you qualify more just because of everything you went through. That's not taking anything away from Hank. He had another year of running in him, and I knew he'd have other opportunities. And I was thinking in that last 200 meters, just hold on, Billy, just hold on. It was a weird position to be in as a coach where I was rooting for you. And and then I saw Hank just take that chance. But then I've talked to Hank about this afterwards. Obviously, that's where he... Finally, kind of got that spark. Like I'm really good at this. I can be even better at this with more work. And I think that that helped him. Even though, look where he is now. You can't say that he would have made it and had all his accomplishments
2: if he hadn't obtained victory in that moment. And I think it was Churchill who said, uh, "Success is defined by failing and failing without losing enthusiasm." Yeah, it might be trite, but that's just kind of quote that kind of summarizes that whole idea.
1: Well, and you're exemplifying true sportsmanship with your answer and how you feel about that whole situation. I remember guys you have to see the amount of work and and pain and glad anger and everything that went into running at your very very best in this race under super hot conditions and billy you took a big chance in that race and you went out a little bit earlier and hank he played it a little safer but then took his chances later on and it came down to that moment but because of that you moved on to things that were better for you really so let's let's move forward to fordham now what did you do there
2: yeah. So when I ended up deciding to go to Fordham, uh, one of the reasons why is because they had a pretty good crew program or r- rowing, same thing, uh, which is obviously a more popular sport back East, not known too well back here, except maybe in California. But it was a sport I kind of just didn't really have any interest in, of course, um, until I discovered it, it was popular. And it's another endurance sport. And it also complements, I mean, it complements a range of, of physique types. There's lightweight and heavyweight categories, but it involves a decent mixture of endurance and strength and it was something I said hey this looks really interesting and there's a technical component as well and I thought it was something I could thrive at and ended up walking onto the team freshman year and rode the rest of the three years and absolutely loved it.
1: Didn't you become a team captain?
2: Yeah so I was team captain senior year and during that year um, one of our boats got a silver medal at the Dad Vale uh, which is in Philly. I wasn't part of that crew but of course happy to see them succeed and know that I had a part in Pushing them.
1: Yeah, well, you were a leader for that team Mm -hmm. and pretty remarkable for a kid who hadn't rode in high school. Yeah. So, Jake, what do you think when you look at Billy now, though? He's – look at this kid over here. I mean, he's – an example for all of us to follow. How old are you right now, Billy? 25. I want to be you when I grow up. Can, can, we, can we make that happen? <laughs> I have Honestly, to go back in time. But.
0: You're so clean cut. He's got the one button undone. Hang on. I'm going to undo mine right now so I can look like Billy. Okay, thank you. Um, no, really, you've, you've got yourself well put together. And I want to touch on what you just said. You were the captain of these rowing boats, right? I'm sorry. I don't know what the technical terms No, that's terms good. That's are, acceptable. Without having done it in high school how did you develop that character to lead people in a sport that you were somewhat unfamiliar with you had been you know a track star now you're gonna go and lead these athletes in a sport that they probably know more about than you do
2: yeah so i mean that was the hardest part for me and technically they're called shells but don't worry about it shells got it (laughs) but it it really helped having a solid training background uh especially under matt I, i was kinesthetically aware decent you know at a decent strength base at the time um uh, the hardest part was for me was just the technical aspect for it obviously I'd never touched an oar before and there's you know you row with this rhythm and the oarsmen behind you in front of you are just as integral to the boat as you are and you have to learn how to organize this almost symphony on the water it's almost like ballet and how beautiful it can be so that was the most difficult part for me but just like anything um You can learn it rather quickly. Again, Matt already brought this up, and I was going to do this anyway, so I'm glad you beat me to it. I was definitely not the most accomplished athlete, and to this day, I'm still not. Everything I've done, um, if you just look at the raw numbers, is very average, (laughs) and it was just an honor being placed on the wall with people like Gabby Williams, Jordan Cardenas, Matt Balzer, you know, these national and world champions. I mean, sometimes average is just good enough, and especially in a sport like crew, where you have people with diverse backgrounds and multiple different strengths, Um, It is a team sport, and some people say it's the ultimate team sport. So uh, I was able to contribute what I knew, and from my endurance background and where I lacked in technical finesse, people picked up. Well, if it counts for anything, man, I don't think your
0: mind nor your character are average. Oh, I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, in John Wooden's pyramid of success. It's it's over the office for a reason. It's this big pyramid's been sitting up there since really I got started with all of this. And all of the kids know that these are pillars that we are striving to be our best at, but we want to be well-rounded within these pillars. And the people who made it to the Hall of Fame, it's about my athletes that I feel like have accomplished these pillars within this pyramid and have really lived this to the best of their ability. It's not really about what that performance is at the end of the day. You are not average. Like Jake said, you have exemplified what that pyramid is all about. And guy like John Wooden, I know he's never met you. I mean, he's never met me, but this is what it's all about when he wrote up that pyramid. And you, sir, are the epitome of that pyramid. I'm very proud of you.
2: Oh, thank you so much. And those that means the world to me coming from both of you, because uh, like I said, I was back in the program when you were over there on <laughs> Mill Street in the volleyball gym. And both you guys were just, you know, when I knew absolutely nothing and had really no direction you guys were there for me from the beginning so it's nice to be back
0: and i can definitely remember the difference in the athletes who took that pyramid of success seriously because you know these are teenagers and if you're being realistic a lot of teenagers when they're being taught things like oh the meaning of integrity and loyalty and friendship they're going to roll their eyes and go yeah 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 you and a few select others actually did the work and listened to the lessons and i hope that you can now as you're a little bit older and more mature, recognize the value in those types of lessons from your teenage years?
2: Definitely.
1: I'll say this, too, on Jake's point. The culture that we have at Pandola today... I'm amazed that we have so many kids that don't roll their eyes at this stuff, Jake, that take it seriously. But it started with pioneers like yourself that did take it seriously, proved the point that it actually works. As we went on in our years and we developed more and more of this culture, the kids coming into the program – I say kids, I mean my athletes, period. I have executives like Doug Dirks and you know Billy Rogers, right? these are super successful people in their own right, but take it very seriously what we're talking about. Nobody's too good to understand that they can do better and that they can sit and listen and learn and also contribute to the conversation about how we can live through this pyramid of success and reach our best potential. But you were one of those kids that actually started to prove the point. And I think when we get referrals in nowadays, it off of what you proved, Billy.
2: Well, and I think too, especially when you're in your teen years and haven't realized it yet, you look at that pyramid, it's kind of intimidating. And it seems like, oh, these things are going to be a burden. It's something like, oh, another rule I have to follow or something like that. And then once you start paying more attention, you realize actually these are just prerequisites to success or obtaining my optimal self and you can see how, I don't have to do this all at once, you know, it's your intro says incremental uh, steps, right? Um, Right. You shouldn't take it on as one big problem, you should chunk it into specific pieces. And once you look at it in that way, you know, you don't build a pyramid by just throwing it all together at once and hoping for the best. You start with the base and you move up. So it's it's very clever and intuitive the way it's designed, and I think it's just hard to grasp that at first when you're young, but um, I mean, it's kind of inevitable and you see yourself like, oh, yep. There's where I should have done that or, yeah, learn that lesson. <laughs> can move on.
1: Well, we're lucky to have coaches like Wooden. Honestly, mm-hmm. he did the hard work. I climbed the backs of giants like him and just said, well, he spent 20 years figuring out what actually works, and so I just followed it. But grateful to Coach Wooden and to athletes like you. So let's talk about what did you do after Fordham. I know you're now talking about more present uh, term what we're doing now and what we did after Fordham, but let's uh let's catch up to date with where your life is at now, Billy.
2: Yeah, so since I was somewhat non traditional as far as preparing for middle school, I kind of you know didn't start taking the prerequisite courses till my sophomore year. I was kind of always a year back, which isn't unusual, but basically, I knew I was going into a gap year from when I'd apply and when I'd matriculate. So I was like, okay, you know, what am I going to do with that time? I could work, do this, do that. And I'd always been, at the time, super passionate about nutrition and exercise physiology and how that all fits into the bigger picture. And I learned about this 12-month master's program at Columbia uh, in human nutrition. And it was something that just seemed like an excellent primer for med school and had all the coursework that I was interested in and a huge research component. And man, I'm just so glad I did that because it's just been a um, life-changing experience and opened up incredible opportunities and just made me into a better academic and uh, human being.
1: Yeah, we were just talking a little bit about Rob Wolf before we started the podcast, and i was fortunate enough to work with Rob a bit, and then, of course, uh, he wrote the Paleo Solution mm-hmm. and has the Paleo Solution podcast, but he actually came into the gym and, and talked with you one day, and I remember he was really impressed with you. Sharp, sharp kid. I remember him talking about that, and uh, it is obvious that you are heading in the direction that you have a, a passion for, but how, how did you know that this was going to be the thing that you really wanted to pursue? One key thing is when you start reading uh, really
2: dense research papers in your free time, you start to realize, okay, um, what's going on here? Why am I like enjoying this, right? I've got a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm hooked. But uh, so it was, it was stuff like that. Um, seeing too, I mean, unfortunately, some of the biggest problems in America right now, the top 10 killers of American are all somewhat related to diet, whether that's obesity, um, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, certain cancers. And you unfortunately see the trends and how those all increased over the past several decades. So it was kind of something like this is going to be incredibly important, especially with um, the new technological innovations that are occurring. And it was something I was going to always learn more about anyway. So it made sense to me to actually get some credentials and be able to put MS after my name. And hopefully that will kind of curtail this idea that nutrition, while it's not a medication and it shouldn't be, they're two separate things, that it is part of the medical paradigm and it is prevention and it can be integrated and sometimes yields better results than traditional methods. So that was really my inspiration and I saw the potential for it.
1: Yeah, you brought up something that I'm pretty passionate about. So I come from a family, Italians, right? Mm -hmm. Eating bread, eating pasta, probably a little bit more alcohol and things like that in in my family's background and i would say that yes we do have some healthy fit people in the in the family certainly there are outliers but for the most part i feel like the fat gene is what a lot of people are attributing to why they have weight issues and i say it's not a fat gene it's a habit gene And you know where I'm going to with that. I feel like I have a healthier life. I have a little bit more happiness because of my health, because of my choices, because of my habits. I didn't have to get locked into the same issues that my father has, right? Or that most of my family deals with. So I love them, but they can make changes. They don't have to get locked into some sort of hereditary trait. But I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Billy
2: oh yeah well thank you um, and you're so right you know there's this phrase that you know the genes load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger it's these epigenetics so while your genes may play a huge role um, they're by no reason the end all be all except in some very rare circumstances but just tying this back around I mean the nutritional sciences are so unique in that you know they're not like quantum mechanics or the theory of relativity those are things that are obviously complex but they have roots in these just quantitative theories and it's usually stuff that flies over people's heads whereas like everyone is an expert in nutrition somewhat
1: because we all have to eat right we all have some say in this i've never heard it said like that i'm an expert in nutrition yeah (laughs) but that is so true Th- that's great point Billy but
2: at least this idea that everyone should be comfortable with food and the way they're eating and how that affects their own physiology and I like you know there's no such thing as a good or bad food they're um, good and bad overall quality diets right but again it's such an interesting field because there's so many things that play into it you could do
1: everything quote-unquote right uh, let, me, let me ask you something else you said there's no such thing as a good or bad food mm-hmm. uh, Oreos is that a food It is a food. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit. When people are listening to this and they're hearing, and I hear what you're saying, but how do we get people to understand how to make better choices? Because we should still have moderation and we should still understand what these additives, these fillers, these things are doing to us, right? Certainly, certainly. So you can kind of
2: related to the pyramid of excess, right? So you have these things that you should strive to incorporate into your diet, you know, your fresh fruits and vegetables, fiber, whole grains, uh, proteins, of course, and then that doesn't say, you know, you have no room for error. You know, you're going out with your friends and um, you decide to go to a a pub or whatever and you wanna get the fries or whatever, as long as your overall quality diet isn't full of things that make up what a French fry is, so you know, these, Calorically dense oils, hyper palatable, calorically dense, not nutritionally dense foods. Um, as long as that make up the overall quality of your diet, there's nothing you know written in stone. People like to moralize food now, and it's quite you know disturbing because it's, it's almost like becomes a religion. And it's just like if you condemn a food and say that is evil, that's going to indem, like there's something innate about it that's going to make me fat or unhealthy, or or l- otherwise, you know that's going to make me healthy. Um, no one became, got CBD or diabetes from one Oreo and no one got healthy from one salad either. So you just have to learn how to incorporate it into the overall picture, right?
1: I love it. One of the things that my wife was talking to me about with this subject in mind, she said that one of the kids has zero sugar in his or her nutrition. And this kid is seven years old, zero sugar. And Our daughter, Mia, she definitely has treats. In fact, I make it a point we do daddy-daughter date nights or we do family nights, of course, where we make it a point to order in pizza... I will crush Oreos over ice cream, and we have a good time with it. I do not want Mia seeing food as being evil or bad or... Imprisoning. Imprisoning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a great way to say that. And so I was talking to Aaron about that, my wife, just saying that I really believe that it's about giving Mia good information, good knowledge about what health and fitness and lifestyle choices really are. But I like the word used imprisoning. I feel like sometimes it's so strict in our mind of how we have to be that it's just easier not to attempt it at all. But the sad part is it doesn't have to be that way. No, not at
2: all. And of course, things get conflated because You know, you take like bodybuilding, for instance, where really like to get to the levels they are in terms of leanness, you know, drugs or no drugs aside, there has to be some sort of strict regimen that the person doesn't really desire. Um, And that's, of course, pushing to the extremes. Not everyone's competing in that sport or should be. I mean, it's the idea that, Food has become like this kind of thing, a, an elitist, a way of showing that like I'm more woke than you, you know, because like I don't eat sugar, or like you know, shame on you because you do, and that's where it starts to go down a place you don't want it to go, because it's a science, and you wouldn't say that about a similar science like chemistry or or algebra, but they're the same thing. The research in for ways certainly, and nutrition is a younger science. I mean, we didn't know the basics till the late 1800s, but. Nonetheless, you have to treat it with the kind of respect it deserves. And, you know, we were just talking before we started about people pointing out BS, especially, um, you know, on social media and stuff like that, and the way information is being misinterpreted and misrepresented. And it's the same way with nutrition. And, unfortunately, that's why I think it's so special for what you guys are doing and what I hope to do and give people the right information and do that with that what they
1: will. Right. It's interesting because talking to a guy like you – Keep it simple, stupid, has always kind of been my philosophy with nutrition, but yet you can really get down the rabbit hole with what you understand and and know about nutrition. So... Without it being too overwhelming to people, how can we get people to understand what's right for them? What are good choices? You know, how do we get away from diets? How do we get to just a good nutrition plan? What would you say that, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying.
2: Well, and that's what's been so helpful about this program is because to earn the MS, you know, after my name, I had to take these rigorous courses in biochemistry, integrative pathophysiology, uh, nutrition throughout the life cycle all these things
1: i barely so, understood anything <laughs> you just said
0: i don't even know what ms stands for
1: uh master of science Sorry. got it well i i did know that okay well, I'm sp- <laughs> i'll speak for myself yeah. i didn't know
2: but the ultimate goal is you want to know all these backgrounds so you can basically summarize into something people can understand because I could rattle off all these pathways and mechanisms and even research and rodents to you all day, but that's not going to make a difference, especially for the person who just doesn't even know what a carbohydrate is or a calorie. And I know most of the audience probably knows that because they're listening to you, obviously, but a lot of people don't, unfortunately. And there's also things, non-modifiable factors, they call them, that play into nutrition hugely. Um, Biopsychosocial is what you call it, the environmental, how wealthy you are. I mean, These things all play into your access to food, to information. So really what we have now as far as giving some guidelines people can follow is the stuff we've kind of already known. We know if you ask someone who may be obese or overweight on the street, um, if you ask them what healthy is, they're probably going to give you the right answer. Fruits, vegetables, lean meats, proteins, whole grains, lentils, fiber. They know, but for some reason, executing it can be restricted either by something internal uh, external factors that i talked about uh, their socioeconomic status things like that so people kind of know this stuff already they just have to develop an awareness of okay if i eat out at this restaurant there might be you know calorically dense oils in here and i don't know how they prepared it but if most of the time you can prepare your own meals and you can make sure that you're taking in the majority of your diet of, like what i said these Whole grains, complex carbohydrates, vegetables that contain a lot of fiber, um, have a high satiety, are nutrient-dense, relatively low in calories. And then, you know, making sure you're getting some fats from fish and stuff like that. You know, that's really what it comes down to and acknowledging that calories do matter and some of these things that for some reason or not people like to like say aren't true anymore and stuff like that. Like the people like to say, like, you know, this diet or this diet is what you need. And it's the only thing that's going to work. Just kind of moving away from that paradigm.
1: Yeah. You just said something important to me. I don't really like the, if it fits your macros philosophy And I could tell with what you're just saying that uh, your standpoint on that. But can you share your thoughts on that? People might not know exactly what I'm talking about here, but it does matter the choices that you make. But general idea is if I just get in this many calories, I'll lose weight as long as I don't go over those calories and it fits my macros. And that drives me nuts. What's your standpoint on that? Well,
2: so just for some background, the if it fits your macro thing it came popular in the like bodybuilding physique uh, area because people were like, oh, I can eat, and this is again like going back to the the aura around certain foods, like oh, I can eat these bad foods like pizza, donuts, like Oreos, whatever, but it's in my daily energy limit, therefore I'm gonna maintain weight or whatever, you know, diet down. So they're taking this fact that's rooted in physics, right? energy and the way we metabolize and utilize um, the carbon atoms stored in our food. This thing that's important to realize because it's how our body functions and how it's going to function to optimal levels. And they're almost abusing it to the point where like, look, I I know my biochemistry so well, I can eat this way where it's the wrong idea. I think acknowledging macros and even counting for a short period is a good way to develop awareness, especially if you're an athlete to realize, okay, um, you know, I'm moving this much throughout the day. Here's um, what I'd like to eat to fuel my performance. How much am I getting in? Here's what I should shoot for. I think that's really important to just as a foundation. Like I said, some people don't even know what these are. So if you can teach them those fundamentals, they can start to learn. Like, oh, this is how my body works, and this is how I mobilize fatty acids and carbohydrates for energy. And like I said, that's a very temporary thing. They flirt with that and then they move on and they're able to structure a diet. It's when it's like, oh, I can, like I, like I said, almost make a game out of it. Like if it fits your macros, I can eat like ice cream and all these things all day long. That's just a wrong mentality to have with it.
1: Yeah. And when it comes to the idea of supplementing, that's another issue that I'd love to tap your brain on because I know, well, you know what my thoughts are when it comes to nutrition nutrition. Whole, real foods obviously have to be the staple, but I'm always talking to people who they haven't done any logging with their nutrition. I kind of say three days initially give me that three days. Most people, when I ask them to do that, they never do it, Mm. but they're sure that they just need this supplement. And I I was in the store earlier today where I get my quote unquote supplements. And I do tend to supplement a little bit more with protein. We can talk about that a little bit, but ultimately... I was listening to somebody talk to uh, the salesperson and saying well I'm, I'm lifting I'm doing everything right I'm just not burning enough fat and I heard this fat loss supplement works really good you know the hyper burner 3000 that's <laughs> out or whatever you right and I'm just shaking my head thinking geez I mean do you have high blood pressure for one how long have you been on this program this strength program that you're on what is your nutrition plan, like right now? Do you really even know? But the idea is that it's just so much easier to take a pill, and it's so sad. I, you have abs. You, you we did, all have abs. Uh, right. Well, oh, there you go. <laughs> I have right. abs, too. It's, abs are cooked in the kitchen. We, You know, those things. like. But, you know, you're a lean guy. You've done – we talk about the Spartan trifecta. We didn't even get to that, but you did all three Spartan races. The last one in Iceland, by the way. We should talk about that after yeah, this. Yeah, for sure.
2: And, My um, near-death experience.
1: Right. Your near-death experience. <laughs> another one, right? You know, these guys are looking to kind of get your type of physique and they don't understand that it's not about taking a pill. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, There are a lot, but speaking in supplements in general, I mean, you have to realize they're not regulated by the FDA at all. Um, They could be selling you something and it could be, you know, pixie dusted or whatever you want to use the term. It could be absolutely nothing in there that you actually desire. And even if there were, I like to, especially when I learn in my master's program, I'm going into the field of medicine, it's very important that everything you're recommending to someone is at least backed up by some degree of evidence, evidence evidence-based and science-based medicine. And frankly, the only few supplements when it comes to exercise and sports performance that we know of actually do some good is creatine, has tremendous research behind it, protein supplementation for certain scenarios, and then there's some semi-solid research around beta alanine and and citrine malate some of these other things but (laughs) that compromises like what 0.1 percent of you know the supplement store or whatever and most of the time they're trying to peddle this thing um it's like snake oil salesman and it plays into our cognitive biases that by no fault of our own because we're human beings and we're imperfect it's one of the qualities that i think people should Um, appreciate about themselves unfortunately it can be hijacked by clever marketing and saying this is the thing you've been missing uh you could be eating your fruits and vegetables your beans but for some reason oh you're not finding success i have the key for you right here so you just have to realize that and thankfully in this age of technology there's all these resources um some of course better than others examine.com is a good one as far as supplements go that are very objective and have research and sometimes the supplement in question will have you know 30 plus papers attached to it and they give their non-biased opinion of like, what's the research behind here? Does it actually work? What is it promoted to do? Um, What does it do? What does it not do? What are the risks? That's the other thing too is nothing comes without a risk to it, um, whether it's a medication or a supplement. And unfortunately you've seen some of these horror cases of tainted supplements, people failing drug tests because they contain some sort of pro-hormone or something like that or um, having some sort of cardiovascular incident because there was something in there that shouldn't have been. So you have to just be aware of these risks and it's much safer to just stick to the stuff we know that works and it's not sexy, it's not flashy, the new thing on the market, it's the stuff we've known for a long time um, and it's the stuff that you just have to be consistent with And it takes a while to see changes, but those changes will come guaranteed.
0: I hope people hear that message because I have a good friend of mine who was working out at one of the meathead gyms and another trainer at the meathead gym gave her a pre-workout. She ended up calling me about an hour later, afraid that she had overdosed on caffeine. Which is easy to do. I believe it. So we we looked it up. You know, she ended up being fine, but you know, long story short, her heart rate was through the roof. And she was just, you know, pacing her floor, terrified out of her mind, because she you know was a very innocent kid. She wasn't, you know, a partier or anything. She just knew that I was into health and fitness, and she calls me and she goes, Yeah, I I took this. You know, she snaps a picture of it with her phone and sends it to me, and I go, Wow, this looks terrible. The labels all like neon yellow
2: and they're they're honestly really frightening. Yeah, yeah, and you said it yourself, you know, Fat Shredder 3000. They have right. it, it's all this clever my, NitroTech like right. also ultimate muscle pumps like these things. And I'm glad you brought up caffeine cuz that's another one that has really solid research behind it not only for athletics but just general cognitive improvements, but uh, like any supplement, uh, any chemical, any drug, it can be abused to the point where unfortunately like people have died from caffeine powder overdoses and like so these things are very real and yeah they're rare but you have to just know that they can happen
1: also just the effect that it has on you for example taking something as simple as caffeine it's funny because a lot of these supplements these pre-workout supplements like you mentioned too Jake It's going to get you really like revved up and like, oh man, you're just just over the top like about getting your hard workout in and you're just on fire, right? And you think you just had such a great workout. and Now you can't go to sleep when you're supposed to. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: And your whole next day is ruined because now you feel like you've practically got a hangover because your brain was just
1: assaulted with all these caffeinated chemicals and Well, and what's the only thing at that point that's going to bring you back up? More of it. More well, of it. Exactly. You have this
2: expectation bias now. Say you did take that supplement for some reason, um, completely unrelated, you PR'd in the gym. Now you're gonna feel like, Oh, that was the key and I worked. need to do that every <laughs> <Right. Yeah.
1: laughs> Got him. it's just the a lot placebo of effect. With that. You just nailed it. I mean well, that's a and big that's part very of it.
2: real. Placebo and the nocebo effect. Actually, right. really interesting, you know, we were talking about genetics before. There was a study they did where they told people they had this fat gene. Uh, it's the FTO gene for people who want to look it up. They studied that one, and um, there's another gene, I can't remember the name of it, but it basically was like if you have a proclivity to um, fatigue easily during ex- exercise. So they randomized these two groups, and this is important too because with all these direct to consumer genetic testing that's going on right now, and they told one group, uh, hey, you have this FTO gene, uh, which means um, you're going to eat more and not feel as satisfied, and that's because of the hormone ghrelin that makes you feel hungry, and leptin is the one that makes you feel satisfied. and uh, if you have this gene, that it's going to take longer for your ghrelin to subside and your leptin to turn on and stuff like that. They told them that when, in fact, they didn't test positive for the gene. And so, this is what we were talking about with the nocebo effect. Right. So, they had this idea and then they gave them a meal. And sure enough, they ate more than they were comfortable with. And not only did they do that, so that's the psychological part of it, which is right. really astounding is, you know, they were taking blood and saliva samples during this process. They saw Physiologically, their levels of hormones react to this misinformation they were just fed. Uh, so it's really incredible. And in case that's like really discouraging to people, it works in the other way too. Um, there's IBS patients who have been prescribed a fake pill that says on the front placebo. So they, they are not even blinded to it. They know they're taking an inert substance, yet they see symptom relief. It's It's really an amazing thing and just shows the power of the mind.
1: Exactly. That's such a good way to put it. I hope people listening maybe make some better choices after this conversation because it is so important that people realize that, you know, the true power of your mind means that you can do these things without these supplements. You can do these things without having to have an aid. You are the engine. You don't have to rely on these fake placebos or nocebos. That was a great point because really it comes down to how You think about things, what you believe to achieve—that's going to make the real difference, not some pill you're putting into your body. I hope that you know Jake over there is really listening up because uh, I feel like I feel like Jake over there. Most of the time, he's just eyes just gloss over when I talk about this stuff. But I think he's really learning something now. You're going to probably get off of all those pills now, right? Yeah.
0: But Billy, you made some great points. Thank you for bringing them up, Matt. I'm not so much listening to you, but. uh, No, I just hope that if you do decide to supplement, at least know what you're doing and get it from a third party, a non-biased third party, because the label on the supplement or the description from Amazon.com is not the scientific research that you need to be doing. And, you know, listen to the terms
1: that Billy was just throwing out here. If you didn't understand them, you probably shouldn't be putting it in your body. That's a great point, Jake. Yeah. And of course, all kidding aside, I know Jake's a healthy guy. You're a healthy guy. I would like to think that because we are doing the best we can in life, everybody gets overwhelmed. We all feel at times, I know I have felt at times that I needed a little something to help me get to that next level or to the, through that day. And so we've all gone through it, I think is the point. I know when I was younger, I was hot shotting. I know that I pretty much became addicted to caffeine and aspirin. I mean, getting through all those shifts and it came to the point where I just couldn't get through them without having those things. So I've, I've done it. I've been there. I understand that. And it becomes so addictive and you do rely on it and you do think you need it. But really, we have so much strength within us without having to have those things. So getting yourself sort of reset, I think, is, is a good way to think about it and understanding that if you are on a lot of let's say caffeine or you're doing um maybe a lot of supplements getting off of that is a process but well worth it don't you want to be that person that has a healthy heart and you look as good as or you feel i should say as good as you look right
2: well it's easy to bring that up there's like an interesting antidote that uh david epstein the author of the sports gene talked about back in the early 1900s when it was one of the first olympic marathons that was run they were supplementing with like rat poison and stuff because <laughs> that's what they thought <laughs> was going to be effective. Did they know it was rat poison? Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. No, it's, it's 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 really astounding, the kind of stuff they were putting in their body. And I think just like drinking towards excess, so basically performing inebriated. Just some, some of the things they thought were going to work, and obviously now we look back at it and kind of chuckle, but it's just like, are we really doing something that different nowadays with the kind of supplements that are out there? So. Well,
0: I salute those pioneers
1: who came yeah. before us. <laughs> Thank you and uh glad it wasn't me all right billy so we could talk so much more about all of this i feel like i've already learned a bit from you today and i appreciate everything that you've brought to our listeners today as well let's talk about you and your future what what are you hoping to do in the future now billy
2: yeah so if all goes well i'll uh, start med school in the fall of 2020 and from there on still trying to serve in the military uh ultimately become a u.s army physician and not sure what specialty yet but i'm um, looking into some sort of surgery maybe pediatrics that's what i did my master's research in but there's also some un- unique opportunities in the military as far as uh white surgery goes and that kind of thing and then also just um continue being obsessed with fitness and you know pushing my body exploring new sports um just remaining active and uh Hopefully, doing some coaching along the way. Uh, I got some certifications this year, and uh,
1: yeah, you became a CrossFit coach. I saw
2: uh, USA weightlifting, and then the CrossFit Level One, uh, which they're really not. You know, there's certifications you earn in a weekend, but they're uh, really there just to give you credibility and are able to like coach in a certain environment because that's something that's always been a passion of mine. And uh, there's physicians now that do coaching. Various different sports, so it's something that uh, I could possibly balance. And of course, you've been a big part of that too. So hopefully, that's something I can get into in the future.
1: Well, yeah, I know I appreciate that. I feel that it's important to be knowledgeable about what you're coaching. That's something that you should check off that box that you're always trying to progress as a person and learn more and understand more, especially about the type of athletes that you might be working with or or clients that you might be working with or just people you might be advising on. Experience I still think trumps it all. Yeah, you know, just for fun, you decided to go to Iceland. We got to talk about <laughs> that Iceland trip here uh, before we end this podcast. So tell the listeners what you did in Iceland.
2: Yeah, so I really didn't have an intention of running multiple races, Spartan races. The first one I did was that one in Tahoe, the World Championships, which is in our back door, so it was pretty easy to get to. You had done it before, obviously, really well, so I had you train me through that. So it made sense, but from there, it was like, man, it's pretty fun. There was one in Sacramento, uh, so still not too far, and it was even a shorter distance, so I was like, might as well just do that one. And then there's this whole deal where if you... Uh, I don't even know if it's a thing anymore, but if you do three in the same competitive year, you get this trifecta medal, and you have to do one of each distance. So the Tahoe was the Ultra. The one in SAC was the Beast. And then the one in Iceland was actually for the... um, It was the Ultra Beast World Championships, but they had a a sprint option too. So that's when I did. And yeah, we went up there in the freaking middle of December, which is an interesting time for Iceland. You get about four hours of sunlight. And uh, I mean, it was more of a vacation than anything. I went up there with my with my pops and we explored the, you know, Reykjavik, the main city there and had a great time. And then it was just kind of a sliver that I was racing. But uh, yeah, it, it got a little dicey at a few points. Um, the weather started getting pretty horrendous and uh, we got rained on and there was, you know, these 20 mile per hour winds and I was dressed inadequately. Um, I was good if the rain, like I was completely good if the if it hadn't rained as hard as it did. And I ended up uh, developing a little bit of hypothermia, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't till the end of the race. So luckily I made it into the, you know, the finishing tent and was able to warm back up. But man, I was out of it for a second, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And these guys doing the ultra beast, that's oh, like a
1: marathon of well, obstacle courses, it was,
2: right? It was uh, a time domain. So it was, how many loops of the course you could do in 24 hours, which is just insane. You know, they're in out there. In Iceland in the winter. Yeah, they're out there at night with their headlamps. I can't even imagine the kind of crap
1: they were doing. But what Are they wearing, like, scuba gear? How are they staying warm enough? Oh, they got... Well,
2: luckily, it's, you know, this loop system, so they were probably... You were allowed to go back into the tent, and they had these care packages with them and extra changes of clothes, so I'm assuming that's what they were doing. But uh one of the best parts about that was... um Katrin David's daughter, if you're familiar, she was two-time fittest on earth at the CrossFit Games. Oh, yeah. Uh, And she was actually doing the sprint, uh, because, you know, she's originally from Iceland. I think it was kind of a promotional thing, but, you know, I got a picture with her and got to um, start the race with her, so that was pretty cool. That's cool. Uh, Did she beat you? She did, but... I attribute that to the hypothermia because I was, it was almost like the Hank scenario. I was, I was ahead the whole time and then, you know, tunnel vision started happening and all of a sudden I saw her, you know, pass me and I was like, you know, I am totally okay with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think twice fittest on earth. That's that will give you a pass on that one. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So I guess let's close off with, you've accomplished so much already. And people listening to you are probably wondering how you can be so young and know so much. My question to guys like you, how do you schedule your day, your week? How do you fit in enough so that you can still do the Spartan trifecta, but study and understand and learn all the things that you need for medical school?
2: So there's this thing that people talk about a lot, uh, the four stages of competence, and uh, you start with becoming unconsciously incompetent. So you, it's similar to the Dunning-Kruger effect. You don't know what you don't know. Uh, You think you have it figured out, it's the unconscious part, but you're actually incompetent. And then you become uh, consciously competent, and you realize, or you know, like I can execute these things well, but you know, it takes some mental effort to do so, and I have to really focus on it. And luckily through my schooling, training, and all the diverse exposures I've had, I've kind of reached that unconscious competence now where I can do these things effectively without thinking about it. So I've just started off my day kind of the same way um, for so long, you know, I like to train in the morning. Um, I wake up, you know, not super early, and you know, it doesn't really matter what time you wake up, to be honest, because we all have these different circadian rhythms, but it's what works for me. And I've been able to do that consistently for so long. I can have a rough structure in my day where it's like, I know I'm going to train here. Uh, I know I have to do work here. Maybe I have somewhere I have to be at this time. And it's very easy to just work around that. Um, So I think it's just more to the fact that I've had so much time being able to fall into a rhythm. And I think that's kind of what people should take away is like, you can't just you know, switch things around one day and expect the best, right? You have to experiment with what works best for you and really just find a groove that fits your lifestyle, fits, um, which hour this is the day you find you work best. Um, and sometimes it's usually said than done. I've been fortunate enough for, um, with my research project, it's been pretty flexible, um, with people working nine to five jobs, um, sometimes more, it's really hard to do that. So, um, sometimes it can be reversed. You only have a few hours to work with, but, the same concept still applies where you just have to analyze that time and say, okay, this is where I can do this. And honestly, um, there's these guys at Barbell Medicine. They have a great phrase. It's, what are you going to do, not train? Uh, And it's really like, um, you know, if you can find the time for, you know, messing around on Instagram for 30 minutes, you can probably find the time to train. So, uh, or do whatever you want to do.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love that. I've learned from some of the successful people that I've been fortunate enough to be around. There's a few staples that I've used in my life that works for me, but I get up earlier and earlier. It seems like now I get up at about four in the morning and the goal there obviously is to get enough sleep. But if I keep getting up at four in the morning, that means that I tend to go to bed around the same time my daughter does. So... I've made those adjustments, but I feel like I get so much more done early in the morning. Before the day really starts, and this morning, for example, I was studying. I was uh, get, getting a little bit of research work done. Then after that, I did a little bit of reading. I'm just finishing up the Tao of Pooh for the second time. Have you read that? I have not even heard of it. Uh, it's a it's a it's a great book. It's about Winnie the Pooh. So we, oh, okay. we've talked about that before. But <laughs> thank yeah, you for clearing that up. Yeah, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, and uh, the Tao means the way right? And the way of poo and and poo just is, it's, it's a great book. I'm learning a lot from it, but I'm reading it for the second time because you mentioned before, well, the first time that I read that book, I already thought I knew a lot of the answers. And then I realized that I needed to reset and learn a lot more again. I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. And now I'm back on that journey where I'm starting to uh, realize that I'm actually just starting to make, my way back up to where I assumed I was before. So it's an interesting journey. And then after that, I went and did something physical. So yeah, I did my run, bike, run this morning and got that done. And then the rest of my day, I already had those things accomplished the day always kind of, you know, challenges you, you end up having different things come up that you didn't realize you would. I was telling Jake, it took me two hours to do something. I thought it was going to take me 20 minutes, but the advantage is I got the important stuff out of the way first. And so uh, that's, that's the direction that works for me. It doesn't work for everybody, but it sounds like you've kind of uh, adapted similar strategies there.
2: Oh, definitely. And as far as, you know, finding the time to, train or do whatever hobby you like to do, you'll find that that complements everything else you're doing. Um, and once again, I'm doing something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And, um, for a lot of people, sometimes they're in a job or a scenario where they're not as happy as they know they could be. And that's just another barrier that may be holding them back. So, you know, it's, it's important to realize, um, you know, just what kind of position you're in too, and, um, you know, cut yourself some slack once in a while um, because it's not always going to work out from day to day. But if you can have, like I said, just a, you know, same thing with diet, like the 80%, 20% rule. If like most of the time you can follow what you've structured and, you know, at least incrementally moving forward day by day, um, I I think that's a win in, in, in and of
1: itself. So... Yeah, just you know, testifying to all of the things that you inherently know and use in your life. I think, Jake, he's probably brought up about three or four of our different Motivational Monday podcast topics in this one conversation. Already. And I think we should have him back. Yes, we definitely need to. All right. Last thing before we leave today. Let's let's have you just leave the audience with one thing maybe that you feel like you would really like them to take away from this podcast. What's one thing that you feel like would help people listening today? So
2: a book I just recently finished, uh, again, by David Epstein. This one is uh, Range. It's his kind of follow-up to the sports gene. And his whole argument is um, debunking this whole 10,000 hours rule thing that you have to be specialized from day one in order to achieve success in this thing. Um, And he points to various examples in athletics, artists, science, where that's really not the case and that sometimes it can actually work against you. And I think it's incredibly important to expose yourself to as many different things as possible because you really never will know when that might come back to serve you in the thing that you're doing in the present moment. Um, and he, if anyone wants to check it out, there's a paper that it's called the Temin effect and it's a reference to a scientist, but it's only a couple pages and it kind of is a summary of the book pretty well, but it ends off with this phrase that the best expert is one that belongs to the wider world. And what he was trying to get at with that is, yeah, you may be an expert in this thing, but if you can have multiple tools at your disposal, um, that will ultimately serve you in the long run. And I actually wanted to ask you a question, Matt, because in one of these chapters, he brings up the hot shots and smoke jumpers, which if people don't know by now, uh, you have an extensive background in that field, and that's somewhere where um, I just, like it's so awesome whenever you talk about it. But they talk about an interview with Paul Gleason. Um, did you work under him? I couldn't
1: remember. That was Paul Musser was my crew mm, okay. boss. Yeah. Are you
2: familiar with Gleason at all or no? Yeah, I've read about him. Yeah, yeah. Well, they talk about there's been certain cases where hot shots, um, where something went wrong and they had to make this evasive maneuver and essentially run away from the incoming fire. And for some reason, many of them did not drop their tools, whether that be like the pickaxe, the chainsaw, what have you. And it was because they had come become so familiar with their tools, and for good reason. It's what defined them as a firefighter. Right. But it was this kind of psychological paradox where it's like they only have seconds to make it out of here, and the people that survived were the ones who did drop their tools. Why did some drop them, and why not? And it was this phenomenon that you, some become so connected to this instrument. Uh, to one point where a guy was halfway up this hill and hadn't dropped his chainsaw, and he started searching for a spot where it wouldn't get burnt. And he thinks to himself after, like, how irrational was that? Um, and it's just a, a clever demonstration of how we can come so fixated on the things we know. And uh, so I think it's incredibly important to just, like I said, diversify your experiences and try as many things as possible. And you never know; it might serve you down
1: the road. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. And it's funny you you bring that up because. Although I never got that close of a call before, we were definitely in a couple situations where I was a sawyer, so I had my saw. And I do remember thinking that this saw is my lifeline. Almost, this is what I use to fight fire with. So, last thing I want to do is give that up. I, I want to be able to use that saw if I need to, you know, break the chain, maybe uh, get ourselves into a, a more of a safer area. That I might have to cut some heavy something like that. And so, you do get. Um, I I I think that you get used to habits. We're talking about habits, essentially, where you're used to thinking and acting a certain way and bringing it into our lives, you brought up such a great point about how we need to be able to sometimes diversify. We need to be able to let go of old habits or understand that we can take this uh, new habit into our life and let go of some of our old habits and uh, explore and see what else we can do with ourselves and uh, create new challenges for ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. This was amazing interview! I love talking to you today, Billy. I'm so proud of you. This has been a journey. You have shown the world, really, that you are going to change the world. Your your answers today were, Jake, this was like uh, somebody who's been in the medical field to me for the last 30, 40 years. Yep.
0: Great mix of the culture from the Pandola Project and then, you know, the medicine, science to back it up.
1: Right. Yeah. And so just, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing, my friend, because you are going to make the world a better place with who you are ingrained into the person that you are. You're a better person, better people make better societies and we need more people like you, my friend.
2: Well, I can't say it enough coming from you guys that that means the world to me. And, uh, I want to thank you for having me. And, um, I mean, you guys, I wouldn't be sitting here if it weren't for both of you and it's, you've played an integral part in my life. So, um, I'm forever thankful for that.
1: I love it, guys. Okay, well, thanks for listening, to Pendola Project, everybody. If you like the show, tell a friend or give us a review when you're listening. Thanks to our sponsor, Reno Running Company, where they have all the gear and advice to get you going and keep you going. Get in touch with us on Facebook or by email at PandolaProject at gmail.com. Talk to you guys next week.